Awesome. I'm so glad to be back. Last week, Pastor Derek and Trey and I were in New York at a conference all about prayer, and it was amazing. But honestly, I snuck out of their service during our service to watch this service on the live stream in the bathroom. So that's how much I love our church. But uh, And Pastor Noah did a great job preaching last week. I'm so thankful for Noah. Can we give him a round of applause? Yeah. I'm so grateful for him. All right. So today we are going to kick off a brand new sermon series called Jesus Is, and and we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and the heart behind this series is just to spend the eight weeks from now up until Easter kind of looking at Jesus and getting a better understanding of who he is. My prayer is that this uh, series would stir up your heart for Jesus. It, it would stir up your affection for him, that all you'd want to do is just kind of think about Jesus and look at Jesus, and that he would just stir you up. But, but before I can get to the I am statements in the Gospel of John, we have to start with God's original I am statement in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. It's the second book of the Bible. So there's Genesis and then there's Exodus. So not too hard to find. Just start at the beginning, start flipping pages, and and you'll get there eventually. And Exodus picks up right where Genesis left off. In Genesis, God called a man named Abram, uh, that's who we named our son after, and later Abraham to go from his home country to a new land with the promise that God would multiply his descendants and that they would become a great nation. Abraham had had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. And at the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob and his 12 sons are living in Egypt. And Exodus picks up about 400 years after this. In the beginning of the book, we see that God had fulfilled part of his promise to Abraham as his descendants had multiplied greatly. It says this in in chapter one, verse seven of Exodus. It says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Here's the thing, God keeps his promises, right? He told Abraham, he said, you're old as dirt, but I'm calling you from your country to go and you're gonna have a kid. You don't have a kid yet. It doesn't seem like you can't have a kid. Your wife definitely can't have a kid, but you're gonna have a kid because I'm powerful. He has a kid, that kid has lots of kids and here we are in the book of Exodus. They have multiplied greatly. They've grown exceedingly strong and they've grown so strong that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt is starting to get a little bit nervous. He's getting nervous about the people of Israel. He thinks that they are a threat to his power and out of this, fear, he, he tries to subdue them. So first he does this by enslaving them. He puts them in slavery. And then when that doesn't work, he decides to start killing the firstborn son of all the Hebrew babies. And thankfully the, or the midwives resisted and a baby boy named Moses was born and his mother put him in a basket in the river. If you've ever seen uh, uh, Joseph or, or what's the What's the movie? Prince of Egypt, maybe that, it's in that movie. I don't know, it's in lots of movies, but you've seen Moses in a basket floating around and then Pharaoh's daughter, uh, she finds him, she scoops him out of the river and she takes him into her house and she names, his, or she names him Moses because that name means to draw out. It's the idea that she drew him out of the river and Moses, so he ends up becoming the adopted grandson of Pharaoh, okay? So what a turn of events. He's raised as royalty However, one day he goes outside Pharaoh's compound and he sees one of the Egyptians beating up an Israelite and he does not like that very much. So he decides to kill the man who's beating up on his own people. And and when news of this gets to Pharaoh, Pharaoh decides to kill Moses 
and Moses flees to a place called Midian. He ends up getting married, he settles down, he becomes a shepherd, and this is where Exodus 3 begins. In the first nine verses, we see that God appears to Moses in a burning bush and tells him that, that he's going to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and then God says that he's going to use Moses to do it. Okay, let's pick it up in verse 10. It says this, it says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. It's very helpful, right? And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say, or God also said to Moses, or to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord Yahweh is that actual word in the Hebrew, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you, and this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. All right, the first sermon of this series is called I Am. I Am. Let's go ahead and pray over it. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move. We ask you uh, to have your way. We don't want this to be my words, and we don't want this to be my ideas, but we want this to be your words and your ideas. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak. God, we're listening to you this morning. We want to hear from you. If, if we're distracted today, if we're filled with anxious thoughts, if we're thinking about something else, I pray that you'd center us right now on your voice and help us to hear you because we need a word from the Lord this morning. God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this past Thursday, I was, I was driving up to Waverly to go pick out carpet for the building, which, like I said, we got to raise some money to, to actually buy it. But I said, hey, we're interested in this carpet. We're excited for it. <laughs> On the way up to Waverly, my daughter, Jane, sees a sign that says Janesville. And uh, anybody here from Janesville this morning? Okay, maybe. Okay, we got a couple. Let's go. Come on, Janesville in the house. Praise God. We got somebody. All right, so, so Jane says, does that sign say Janesville? And I said, why, yes, it does, Janie. She smiles real big. She cannot believe that there's a whole town named after her, right? <laughs> and then on the way back from Waverly, she sees the sign again, and she says, hey, Dad, what town are we in right now? I said, we're passing through Janesville. A big smile came back to her face. It's safe to say that Jane likes Janesville. <laughs> our names carry weight. They mean something to us. They are one piece that helps shape our identity. And they can either be a source of confidence and meaning and belonging, or they can be a source of shame and embarrassment. And growing up, my dad always told me, he said, Quimby's are tough as nails. Every time I cried, Quimby's are tough as nails. And he told me that, that Quimby's work hard. We don't quit, right? Quimby's do not quit. And he's not wrong. I think most Quimby's I know fit this description. There's a few that maybe don't, but I'm kidding. For the most part, they do. And I'm seeking to pass this along to my kids. I say the same things to them. I say we work hard, but I've added my own elements to it. I say... I say Quimby's are kind, right? We are, are kind, we are loving, we look out for other people. I want my kids to draw meaning from their names. I believe it's just one more way that, that, that can help shape our identity to be the people who God has created us to be. And that's why we, we prayed and sought the Lord on their first names as well and, and, and tell them what their names mean. 
Even more than this, though, I want our kids to draw their identities from God. I want them to know what it means to be sons and daughters of God. I want them to know what it means to have his name over their lives, to have the name of Jesus over their lives. If we can find our identity from Christ and not from things in this world, it will solve a multitude of problems. But this is easier said than done. We are living in a day and age where we are being told that it's our responsibility, it's our privilege to shape our own identity. We're told that, or that we can choose our identity, whatever we want to be, we can be. All options are available to us. There's nothing to ground us. There's, uh, there's nothing containing us. We can just do whatever we want. And, and we're like a boat without a captain or an anchor, and we're just kind of floating around in the sea trying to figure out who we are. We are in the middle of a dangerous experiment, and we're being told, again, that, that we can be whatever we want. And, and because of that, we are in a staggering identity crisis in our culture. And the next generation is paying the price because of this experiment. I feel like nobody knows who they are anymore. And we see this in the skyrocketing rates of mental illness. It's staggering mental illness. We see it in our Chi Alpha ministry it's staggering. Even now, compared to 10 years ago, things have dramatically changed. In our passage today in Exodus, we see that Moses had his own identity crisis. He didn't know who he was. Imagine what's happening internally for him when God comes to him in the burning bush. He was born a Hebrew with a death sentence over his head. He ends up in Pharaoh's palace by some crazy turn of events. He makes a rash decision and now he's in the desert and he's on the run from Egypt. He's got to be very confused about who he is. He couldn't find his identity in being an Israelite because he was in Pharaoh's palace. He, he couldn't find it in, in being a grandson of Pharaoh as, as Pharaoh disowned him and wanted to kill him. So maybe you can't really find your identity there at this point. He didn't feel like he belonged anywhere. And there was very little to kind of anchor him to the ground. He did not know who he was. And you see this in the fact that he names his son or his son, Gershom, which means I am a foreigner, right? That's his, his identity. I'm just a foreigner. I don't belong anywhere. His self-confidence was radically low. It was in this context that, that the God of the heavens appears to him and calls him to free the Israelites from Egypt. He says, I'm picking you to do this. It says this in verse 10. It says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God says to Moses, he says, you're not just a foreigner. You're not a murderer. You're not an orphan. Instead, you are a warrior. You're my chosen leader. I'm calling you to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got the wrong person. He says this in verse 11. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Have you felt that way before? Who am I? Right? God, why would you ask me to do this? Why would you call or call me into this. Why me? I, I, I have so many struggles. I, I don't even know who I am sometimes. Why would you call me? He struggled to believe that he could be used for a significant purpose. He knew his own history. He knew his mistakes. He knew his past. And he says to God, who am I to do this great task? And God responds, not by answering his question, but instead he tells him that he will be with them. He's trying to get Moses' eyes off of himself. And on to him, it says this in verse 12. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God says, I will be with you and that's all that matters. It's not about who you are, but it's about who I am 
in the fact that I will be with you. If Moses could grasp who God is, then he could know who he was and have the confidence to do what God called him to do. And the same is true for us. If we wanna know who we are, if we wanna do what God has called us to do, we have to know who God is and draw our identity from him. If we want a secure identity, we can't draw it from within ourselves, right? We can't draw it from our own abilities, our, our own feelings. That could be another sermon. It's not about what you feel. Your heart is deceitful above all else. You can't draw it from your ideas of what makes sense to your rational brain, what makes sense to me. Instead, we must draw it from the God who created us or who created us, the God who who fashioned us together in our mother's womb, the God who created us in his very image, the God who gave his own life for us on the cross. If we want to have a secure identity, we have to draw from him and know that he is with us. A lot of my struggles in life have come from failing to draw my identity from God. For me, the biggest substitute for me is achievement. I love to achieve things. It makes me feel like I'm worth something. So, so back when I was in school, I found my identity in my grades. If I didn't have like 98% of my class, I was getting pretty stressed. I'm not kidding. That's not dramatic. Like if it was 94%, no, too low. It's below 95. I found it in how well I did in sports, which was not very well, so I had an identity crisis there. <laughs> but then when I got into ministry, I'd find it in my ministry success. Like if someone didn't come back to Chi Alpha or come back to church, I'd say, God, what's wrong with me? God, why didn't they come back? God, what do I got to do to get them to stay? And this all came to a head during the COVID-19 crisis when it was really hard to have ministry success, especially if you're an idiot like me and you decide to plant a church. (laughs) It's not the time to plant a church, okay? So for two years, it felt like God had me on an operating table and he was just doing surgery on my heart. He was trying to fix my heart. I had to learn to find my identity not in what people thought about me, or how well I was doing in ministry, but in God. I had to find it in the fact that he loves me on my best days and my worst days. When none of you show up, he still loves me. When y'all show up and it's hopping in here, he loves me too. He gave it all for me. I have to find my identity in him. And for Moses, when God told him that he would be with him, and that's all he needed, it wasn't super helpful to Moses, because he didn't even know who God was. He's like, great God, you're with me, but who are you? He had surely heard about him. He had heard stories about God, but God wasn't very active among the Israelites in this time, right? They were in slavery. It wasn't going very well for them, and it definitely wasn't going very well for Moses. He had no reason to trust God's character at this point. God had not really come through for him yet and said everything just seemed to go wrong in his life. God seemed distant. God seemed like he didn't care at best or like he was kind of sadistic at worst, and God saying that he would be with him meant nothing to him yet, so he presses in a bit, and he says, God, I'm, I'm not asking this question, but if they ask who you are, who are you? What should I say to them? <laughs> and there's no better way to do that in the ancient world than to ask what someone's name is, right? Names revealed so much about a person. You see this in how God will often change people's names at, at key junctures in their life in the Bible. And you also see it in the fact that Jesus calls us to pray in his name. Does that mean that if you say in Jesus' name, you get whatever you want? No, it means that you're praying in his character because names reflect character. If you're praying in Jesus' name, you're praying for the things that he would pray for if he were you. In Exodus 3.13, it says this. It says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people 
of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And for the first time in the scriptures, God is going to give us his personal name. It's a name that, that is so, or so revered and so holy in the Hebrew tradition that they don't even say it out loud. It's like Voldemort, but in a good way. All right, you don't say it out loud. In our English translations, the word has been substituted simply for the Lord in all caps, but actually it's his name there. It says this in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Okay, so God tells Moses that he is, I am who I am, what a name. And when people ask you, tell them that, the, or that I am has sent you. And this is a really complicated word to translate because we don't know exactly how it was spelled as ancient Hebrews did not use vowels, okay? So uh, they would just use consonants when they wrote because it was quicker, right? Just like, why put the vowels in? We can figure it out, right? Try it with some words. I'm not gonna do it right now, but, but try it with some words and you'll be able to read it if you take the vowels out. So that's how they did it and they also didn't speak his name out. So then, they, or so then at some point, we don't really know how it was said because we don't know what the vowels are, but our best guess is that is Yahweh, okay? Yahweh is our best guess. It, it, it's typically written though just just W-H, not W, Y-H-W-H. Let's go ahead and throw this up on the screen here. So there's Yahweh, and then there's Y-H-W-H. And, and then since the people of Israel avoid saying God's name, it, it's often replaced again with just the Lord, as we see in verse 15. So in summary, God's name is depicted in the following ways. I am who I am, or I am Yahweh, Yahweh without the vowels, or Lord. Okay, with all that in mind, when Moses asked God for his name so he can know who's who is sending him, God says, it is I am who I am. And how in the world was this supposed to be helpful to Moses? What does that even mean? Right, you're not helping me out, God. I'm trying to find my confidence in you, but you're just saying I am who I am. Great, who is am? Who are you? Well, there's more to it than what's on the surface. Another way to say this is whatever I am, I will be, or I will be who I will be. So this means that, or that whatever God is, he will be consistently if he's compassionate, he's gonna be compassionate all the time. And with God, there are no facades. There's no duplicity. There's no, you know, put something on the surface, but you're actually this way. Instead, he is consistent. He is unchanging. He is reliable. And it also means that he is, is self-existent. He's not dependent on human beings. He's not dependent on anyone else. He is uh, the uncreated, the uncaused one. He is the eternal one. And this God is outside anything we can imagine. He's the one who holds the universe together. He's the one who is larger than life itself. This is the God who would be with Moses. And this is the God who Moses needed to find his identity in. That despite his weaknesses, or despite his stutter, he could be a mighty warrior and leader because I am who I am was going to be with him. And the same is true for us. If we know that the God of the heavens is with us, we can do whatever he calls us to do. We can walk by faith even when we're afraid. We can love and forgive even those who have hurt us deeply. We can choose to be steadfast in a world full of pressure. And to be honest, this has been really important for me in this season as, we, as uh, from November through December, we navigated the church merger and then now I got to jump right into a building project. It's been fun for me. Pray for me. I've had to consistently remind myself that God is faithful and that he is the leader of our church. Not me, he is the leader. He is responsible for leading and providing for this whole thing. 
And this church will continue far after I'm gone, right? It's his church, not mine. And knowing who he, or who he is and that he is with me has given me the courage to lead us into our calling as a church. And, and just this morning in my prayer time, the Lord was ministering to my heart and reminding me of who he is. I am who I am. I am the one who split the Red Sea wide open. I am, I am with you. I can't look at myself, but I have to look at God. And as I do, he just seems to always come through. He hasn't failed yet. I'm gonna keep trusting him. And this was Moses' experience as well. He eventually responds to God's call in faith, and he did in fact lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And the Lord even split the Red Sea open so that they could walk on dry ground. He just splits it. And he got to experience the power of Yahweh. He got to see the power of the uncreated, the uncaused one. And Moses doesn't settle, though, with only this level of revelation. He's like, you know, splitting the Red Sea, that's really good, but I still need to know more about you. He wants to dive more deeply into who God is, and, and he does this in Exodus 34. He says, God, show me your glory. I'm thinking, hasn't he shown you his glory? I would love for him just to split a puddle for me. Come on, somebody, right? He split the Red Sea, and you're like, show me your glory, God. I, I love the shameless audacity of Moses, right? He's like, I need more of you, God. And God says, you can't handle it. He's like, I gotta hide you in a rock. You can't actually see me, but I will pass by you. I, I can't actually be you know, person to person with you, but I'm gonna pass by you, and as I do, I will proclaim my name to you. So he's gonna give Moses even more meaning in, into what Yahweh means, okay? So it says this in verse five through seven of Exodus 34. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Okay, this is a huge moment in scripture. It's one of the few times that God describes himself. He says, this is what I'm like. And this ends up being one of the most quoted passages in the Bible by the Bible in other passages. All right, the writers of scripture, they consistently circle back to it to ground themselves in who God is. So if you're ever wondering what God is like, look at Exodus 34, verses five through seven. And Pastor John Mark Comer, in his book, God Has a Name, which I highly recommend, he says that this is ground zero for theology of God. This is ground zero. Okay, so what does it tell us about God? Well, the first thing it tells us is that he's merciful, right? The fact that he listed this first is very important. This is the most important thing there is to know about God. He is merciful. He is compassionate. It's another word for that. Okay, so God desperately wants us to know that he is merciful towards us. The word for, uh, for merciful, it comes from a Hebrew, or in the Hebrew, it comes from a root word meaning female womb, and it's a feeling word. So it's the idea behind the feeling that a mother has for her children, for her infant child, right? That's a, that's a crazy love, right? So when my boys try to hit my little daughter, Emily's like, why? I will chop you. Right? You do not touch an infant when the mother's around. So God is trying to tell us that, that he feels for us as a mother feels for her children. Okay, so picture that type of love, that affectionate love. This is how God feels towards you. Even on your, 
Even on your worst days, even in your worst moments, God looks at you and he has mercy and compassionate. It's the first thing that he says about himself. He also says that he's gracious and this is more of an action word than a feeling word and, and it, it means that he shows grace or he shows favor. So it's something you do. God takes action towards us to, uh, to rescue us when we need help. He responds when we're in, in danger. I remember when I was a kid, my brother Derek, who you all know very well, he was trying to swim into the deep end, right? He was like, he was little. And my mom was on the side of the pool with all her clothes on, with shoes on, with all that stuff. Derek starts going to the deep end. All of a sudden, and my mom had long hair. She still does, but it was like down to here. It's like flying in the wind. She's like, no. <laughs> she leaps in the pool, ah! And, she's, and she rescues him, right? That's what God is like for us. He's watching over our lives. He's ready to take action. He's ready to help us. He is gracious towards us, right? He's like a crazy mom jumping in the deep end with all her clothes on. He responds when we're in danger. He doesn't only have good feelings towards us, but he takes action for us. I am is also slow to anger. He can get mad. Oh, I wouldn't test him. But it takes him a while to get mad. He's patient with us in our weaknesses. And he gives us plenty of opportunities to make things right. And there are things that all of us can agree are not okay in the world, right? There's things we can agree on that are just not okay, and they should cause us to get angry. So God has an anger towards those things. God's anger is a, an emotionally healthy, it's a mature anger. It's a mature response to evil. It's different than our anger. My anger is typically because someone wounded my pride. I'm feeling defensive. How dare you say that to me? or I feel wronged or something. It comes when I don't get what I want. But God's anger is different. It comes from a pure love. It's an anger that a parent feels for their children when they run into the street, right? Like, how dare you do that? How dare you put your life at risk? That's, that's what God's anger is like. It's rooted in love. It's rooted in wanting more for us and wanting more for the world. I am is also abounding in love and faithfulness. So this points to his ability to keep his promises. It tells us that God does not abandon his people. He's faithful to the end and his love does not run out. You cannot outrun the love of God. It cannot run out. It doesn't go dry. We can always trust him and know that he is faithful. Faithfulness and love are at the core of who Yahweh is. He keeps his promises and he is good. And we see his love and faithfulness expressed perfectly in the New Testament as Jesus Christ hangs on a cross, paying for the sins of the world, being faithful to pay for the sins of the world, but at the same time, he's showing his love for us and the fact that he's paying it for us. God is completely loving and completely faithful. I am is also relentless to destroy and forgive sin. So this reiterates that God's baseline is love. He continually forgives us and he does it eagerly. He is waiting to forgive us if we'll only come to him and repent. But at the same time, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. God is not just loving, he is just. He will deal with evil. He does not wink at sin. It's not just, oh, no big deal. No, he takes it very seriously. And, and I think we want him to take it seriously. We all long for a perfect world where there's no school shootings or sex trafficking or racism and where evil is banished. And this can only happen if God destroys it and quarantines it in hell. Okay, so to that end, those who don't receive forgiveness of sin by putting their faith in Christ will be quarantined in hell forever 
along with every bad and wrong thing. Wrongs will not go unaccounted for. Every wrong in the world, every time you see something in the news that disturbs your heart, it will all be dealt with. God is not unconcerned with evil, and we have the choice if we want his grace and forgiveness or not. Right? Do we want Jesus to pay our penalty, or do we want to pay our penalty ourselves? It's important to note here, because you can misunderstand, that, that God does not punish children for their parents' sin. That's not what it's saying. Scripture is clear that each person is accountable for their own actions. However, parents' actions do affect their children. Parents, your behavior affects your kids. Get your junk dealt with so they don't have to deal with it. Right? There are generational sins and strongholds that are passed down from generation to generation. And the good news is that God will not stop until he deals with those sins and strongholds. He wants us to be free. And he will deal with this sin like any good parent would because it will destroy us if he doesn't. This is who I am. Is, and this is who Yahweh is. He's stunning. He's beautiful. He's majestic. He's better than those things that you're focusing on in your life. He's a lot better than those things that compete for the affection of your heart. He's unlike anything you've ever seen. He's unlike anyone you've ever been with. He's unlike anything you've ever tasted. God is amazing. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who came to Moses in that burning bush and called that stutterer to go and lead the people of Israel out of the clutches of Pharaoh. He's the God who split the Red Sea. He's the God who's with us. This is the God that we can draw our identity from. The God who's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness and relentless to forgive and destroy sin. He's asking us to find our life in him. This is something that should be incredibly comforting and empowering to find our life in Yahweh. But the question remains, how does Jesus fit into all of this? Right, the sermon or the series is called Jesus Is. How does he fit into this? Is Yahweh in the Old Testament a grumpier version of Jesus? Is Jesus like the laid back son of Yahweh? Like, you know, my dad, he kind of get worked up, but I'm a little bit cooler. (laughs) How do they fit together? Well, let's see what Jesus says. In John 8, the religious leaders are questioning his identity. They're getting really frustrated with Jesus. He's doing some things that he should not be doing. And Jesus says that all who believe in him will never taste death. What a bold statement. You'll never taste death if you believe in me. That's a human being saying this. The religious leaders are like, what are you talking about? And they say, even Abraham died. How dare you say that those who believe in you, just the man, are going to live for eternity. It says this in verse 53 of chapter eight. It says, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus responds simply by saying, I don't need to defend myself to you. I know God and you don't. He then says this about Abraham in verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And the leaders responded to this bold statement by asking him, how have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And now we finally get the answer to our question of how Jesus relates to Yahweh. It says this in verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He is the I am. He is Yahweh. He is the one who appeared to Moses in that burning bush. 
This is massive. This is humongous. This would have been mind-bending for some Jews and infuriating for others. We saw that it was infuriating for the religious leaders as they tried to pick up stones to kill him after this. So Jesus is saying that I am, I'm that person, uh, the person you couldn't even say his name, that's me. I am, I am in the flesh. Jesus is, I am. He's Yahweh, flesh and blood. If you wanna know what God is like, if you wanna know what Yahweh is like, if you wanna know what the God of Exodus 34 is like, look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He truly reveals who God is. He embodies the God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's the God who embodies being committed to forgiving and destroying sin. He is God in 3D. He's the one who spun the cosmos into existence. He's the one who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who split the Red Sea wide open. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us seven I am statements to explicitly describe himself to us. And here's the statements. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door, the good shepherd. In the resurrection and the life, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the vine. And this series is all about exploring these different descriptions of God. I can't wait to dive in with you. I think the Lord is gonna do something significant. But the question for today is, do you know Yahweh like Moses did? Or better said, do you know Jesus? Do you know the name that's above every other name? Do you know him? And do you know his presence and power? Do you know his love for you? Do you know how he feels about you? And not just that, but have you surrendered your life to him yet? Have you truly surrendered to him? Have you drawn your identity from him and what he says about you? Have you responded to him like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Peter, John, James, Mary, and Paul, and all those other people did? <laughs> Have you given your life to him? If you want to truly know who you are, if you want to walk in God's destiny for your life, it's imperative that you do surrender to him. If you wanna know who you are, you must center your life on Jesus. This is the single most important thing you will ever do. It's only here that you will find life, hope, joy, and meaning. It's only here that you will find satisfaction. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about praying a prayer at the end of a church service and then showing up to church when you feel like it. That is not the Christian life. That is not what God promised us. Right? That is not the burning bush type life. I'm gonna show up to church, sit there, be really bored. He's not that great of a preacher. Sometimes he's okay, but for the most part, eh. I've heard it before. I'm gonna go home, eat some food, pass out, and not think about it again until the next Sunday. That is not what he's called you to do. That's not where life is found. Life is not found in religion. That's what the religious leaders were trying to do. It's not found in that. It's not, it's not found in trying to know all the right things so you feel good about yourself. No, it's found in knowing Yahweh. It's found in knowing the I am. It's found in actually knowing Jesus and saying, I'm gonna give my whole life to you. I'm gonna let my life just kind of spin around you. I'm gonna do whatever you tell me to do. I'm gonna obey you no matter how hard it is, no matter what it is. I'm gonna give my whole life to you. This is where life is found. It's not found in half-hearted commitment. It's found in, in wholehearted surrender. It's found in, in, in doing what Moses did, right? Moses said, I have a stutter. I made so many mistakes in my life. But God, I'm gonna trust you. 
I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. And as he did that, he got to see God move in such power, do things far beyond anything he could ever imagine. And he got to step into his identity. He became a ferociously bold leader. Like he's the leader that all the people of the Old Testament look back to. Moses, oh Moses, man, he was, he was quite the leader. But he's only able to step into that when he surrendered himself to Yahweh, when he started trusting Yahweh, saying, Yahweh, you have my heart, I'll trust you. He talks about how when Moses would come off the mountain after meeting with God, his face would shine because he had been in God's presence. He knew Yahweh. He really knew him. And this is all that mattered. It's all that mattered at the end of the day. It didn't matter that he was raised in Pharaoh's house. It didn't matter the bad things that happened to him. It didn't matter that he killed a man. All that mattered was he was the one who was a friend of God. He knew Yahweh. And this is where life is found. And I know this from personal experience. I had a great childhood, but man, I was always confused. I was so confused about what was actually important. I was confused about what my life was supposed to be about. I would swing from one thing to another. I would go for achievement and purpose, like I said earlier. Then I would go to pleasure and just doing whatever I wanted. I would go to, hey, I'm gonna make a difference in the world. I'm gonna make a lot of money and do good things. I would swing from one thing to another and I constantly felt hopeless and frustrated and confused. And it wasn't until my own burning bush moment when I truly decided that Jesus was all that mattered and that I finally knew who I was that I was able to step into God's destiny for my life. Since then, I've gotten the joy of walking with Yahweh and watching him split Red Sea after Red Sea wide open. I can't help but think that some of you need your own burning bush moment today. God is calling out to you. Like Moses, for you, maybe you're minding your own business. You're like, hey, I'm good over here. But God has something for you to do in this world. He has a mandate on your life. He created you with a purpose. He's calling your name. It says this in verse four of Exodus three. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here's the thing, before Moses could hear his name, he had to turn and see the bush. Have you turned towards Yahweh yet? Have you drawn your identity from him? Until you do, you won't know who you are and you won't know what you were created to do. Listen to him today. Listen to Yahweh, respond to him. Be honest with him about your fears and what's holding you back. Share your concerns with him. He can handle it and ask him to meet you in that space. As he meets you, trust him and find your life from him. Make a decision again to orbit your life around him like the solar system orbits around the sun. Allow him to be your gravity. Let's go ahead and stand all across this room. Here at Ascent Church, we're committed to really one thing, one primary thing, and that is to knowing Jesus in his fullness. We're committed to that. We wanna know Jesus. We wanna see his glory. We're gonna be bold and audacious like Moses and say, God, show us your glory. In 2024, show us your glory. We are, are committed to being a church that doesn't just read about God, but we know God. We know his heart. We have our own burning bush moments. And this morning, I wanna be bold and I wanna ask God to reveal his glory to us. And as he does, if you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, I wanna encourage you to talk to a volunteer, talk to the person you came with, talk to the prayer team. Prayer team, if you wanna come over or come up over here, 
talk to someone about that. Talk to someone about your decision to give your life to Christ. And also, I want to open the altars up to, to have our own burning bush moment of saying, God, show us your glory. So let's go ahead, let's pray as a church, and then we'll get into just responding to the Lord. So, Lord, right now we come to you, and Lord, we ask you for a burning bush moment. God, I pray that, that each person in this room would hear you calling out their name. God, that they would know that you are interested in their life. You're interested in their hearts and their desires and what's important to them. You're interested in those things. You see them. You see all the horrible things that have happened to them. You've seen all their mistakes. You've seen their their confusion. You've seen them, and you're calling them out of that. You're calling them to step into their destiny by finding all their life in you. God, today, I pray that you reveal yourself. Show us your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's respond to God. The altars are open, prayer teams available.